What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you want to expand your basketball knowledge, I really recommend B-Ball Index. This company has different spreadsheets and data resources that are really, really help in, in terms of looking at different current NBA players, uh, players coming in from college, players coming in from overseas. They have just a bunch of different models and, and data sets that you can use that I've been using in my writing. And, and on this podcast, the Spurs cast, uh, their website is www.bball-index.com. Again, bball-index.com. And when you go on there and you sign up for their data and tools package, they're going to give you 15% off your first month subscription. It's only $5 a month for the, for the subscription each month. Uh, really worth it, in my opinion. And if you got to use the promo code for that deal, SpursCast. Again, the promo code for this deal is SpursCast. Again, the website is bball-index.com, promo code SpursCast. Spurs Cast, episode 549. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me in studio and back from Las Vegas is Project Spurs' Colin Reed. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Um, you know, I, it's finally, we're hitting the, it's been a long time since we've hit this period, but we're finally here hitting the uh, the doldrums of the NBA offseason, where it's finally gotten slow in news. Um, there's not a lot of going on, you know, just minor signings here and there from different teams. As for the Spurs specifically, Colin, Colin, it looks like they're they're pretty much done. Uh, what have you thought about their their offseason so far? You know, I think that the the Rudy Gay signing was expected. There is a couple of things that you went into about why that may or may not happen, depending on some of the DeRozan extension and then some of the trade talk that was happening like a month ago, not the most recent stuff, but the really, really early trade talks. Uh, but since none of those seem to materialize or become anything real, you know, the Rudy Gay thing went through, which was expected. The number was maybe a little bit higher than expected, but I, I don't think it's a big deal kind of compared to what he's been making recently. And then obviously, um, you know, Damari Carroll seems like a perfect spur yeah. kind of guy, like defense, take shots within the system, that kind of stuff. And then it seemed like they were going to be done until they made, you know, the sign-in trade to get him so that they could keep their MLE to sign Marcus Morris. So um that was a pretty interesting and clever move uh yeah. to kind of like retain their mle uh if it would have happened maybe on like uh july 1st or 2nd that would have been like a, a really crafty move where yeah. they could have given him a lot of flexibility but unfortunately with how late it happened in the summer when the plans changed it kind of hurt them yeah that was actually really you know this is thing we did talk about in the last time i recorded michael de leon about two weeks ago uh was how they used that that the trade player exception with davis bertans to the wizards and uh our own guy john diaz had actually texted me before 
Damari had actually signed his contract, he texted me. He's like, hey, Paul, um, can the Spurs, you know, can, can, can the Brooklyn re-sign Carroll with his bird rights and then send him over to the Spurs, uh, you know, in, in, in exchange for for Davis or something like that. And I was like, well, I said, I said it, it probably won't work because, uh, you know, the, the Nets are trying to open up cast space to get, you know, to get Kyrie and Katie and all these other guys. I was like, so it probably won't work that way if it's going straight to Brooklyn. But then I didn't think of that wrinkle that the Spurs thought of and take to sending Davis to, to um, Washington, which has ended up happening. So it was pretty interesting, you know, the cap uh, machinations there that, that made that move possible. But Colin, let's get into the newest spur that just got acquired um, or got signed, should I say. And that's Trey Lyles. Uh, let's first go, like you mentioned, the Marcus Morris drama. So the Spurs, you know, early on in free agency, they, they verbally agreed to Marcus Morris to, to sign with them for uh, two years, 20 million, using that full mid-level exception after they, uh, you know, like you said, that they signed and traded for a uh, Damari Carroll. Well, then, um, you know, before the before the um, moratorium lifts, uh, there's a word that that Reggie Bullock, you know, basically didn't his his, me, his medical and his and his physical had some, some red flags for the Knicks. So now all of a sudden, their agreement with him, they were going to lower it to probably the mid level exception of four point eight million. Well, then that ex, that that allowed the Knicks to open up fifteen million dollars in cap space, which is more than what Morris would have made here in San Antonio. So we know that what happened, you know, Morris ended up um, reneging on the Spurs and signing with uh, the Knicks instead. And the Spurs, uh, you know, they didn't use the full MLE, but they did. They were able to get. Um, Trey Lyles, who Denver had just rescinded his qualifying offer. So, so the deal for, for Trey Lyles is two years, 11 million, only 1 million of it is partially guaranteed next season. Uh, so really it's, you're looking at, you know, if he's not on the team past next season, well, it's a, it's a one-year deal for six and a half million, which isn't a bad um, contract for the Spurs or for Morris because his, I mean, Lyles, because his, his market value was in that six to $8 million range. So Lyles, he's a six ten big, um, he played 95% of his minutes at the four. He's 23 years old. Um, you know, he spent two years in Utah where he was drafted. Then he spent two years in Denver. Last year, he played in 64 games with the Nuggets, eight and a half points, 3.8 rebounds, 1.4 assists. His three-point shot declined dramatically to 26% from three. He played 17 and a half minutes. Now, you might ask, you know, we watched the Spurs and Nuggets go battle in seven games in this last year's playoffs. And, and, and some might ask, well, where was Lyles? He never played for Denver. He wasn't one of their main guys. Well, the problem there was that uh, he strained his left hamstring in late February, and then by the time he came back to the lineup in mid-March, his minutes were gone. You know, Paul Millsap had returned. I think there was a few other players. Will Barton had come back from Denver. So really, there was no place for Lyles to play anymore, especially with that struggling three-point shot. Um, his offensive style, he's basically a pick-and-pop big. Um, 29% of his shots, I mean, of his frequency of plays come as spot-up shooter. Uh, he's a pick-and-roll man mainly, sets a lot of pick-and-pop shots. Uh, and then he might, he 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 very slightly will, will post up every now and then 16% of his possessions are post-ups. Uh, he's, he's comparable. His offensive style comps, according to the B-Ball Index, is uh, Markeith Morris and Jason Smith are kind of his comparisons. So let's first um, focus on um, the offensive part. What do, you, what do you think about Lyles, what he's bringing to the Spurs? You know, especially because he was... Um on the Nuggets, but kind of got buried in the rotation when we were really looking at the Nuggets. I'm not, you know, super familiar with him, but I, I did read the piece that, that you wrote about his three-point shooting and kind of how it's up and down. And so it's, it's one of those things where as we watch the Spurs and analyze the Spurs, it can be easier to put a shine on them, maybe where they don't always uh, deserve it just because we see it all the time. But just having watched them over the years, it seems like they are better even though they take less threes, it's because they take good threes more. And that's why mm. you always see them low on shot threes taken, but high on percentage because they, they get the good threes if they're going to take them. So I feel like, you know, 
the threes especially should be expected to be kind of like what you're saying around average, but maybe with a tick up because if he's taking them, it won't be because it's like, hey, we need Lyles to take a three. It'll be more like it's within the system and he has an open shot kind of thing. So, so it, you know, whether it's going to be like two years ago or last season is hard to know, but it should be better shot quality overall just because that's kind of the way that it works. Um, but but that's kind of the most that I know of him is kind of that his three-point shooting has been up and down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, that that's something on paper I wanted to look at. I was, that's why I wrote that piece because, you know, I was getting a lot of, you know, last year he had a bad shooting season with 26% from three, like I mentioned. And then, of course, the Spurs just got rid of Davis Bertans, which is kind of who he's going to get compared to, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that Davis makes more money and, you know, he's just a different type of player. He's, he's an elite shooter in terms of regular season performance from three. And, and Lyles just isn't that. And so I was wondering, cause I was getting a lot of, of feedback of like, you know, he shot 30% the previous year. And so he just had a bad year. And I was like, did he really have a bad year? So what I did was I kind of looked at his, his overall percentages. So rookie year, he shoots 38%, pretty good. Uh, second year, he, he shoots 33%, which falls a little bit. Then, you know, we talked about the third year, he shot 38% and then now it's down to 26. So, so what I came away from in that piece, if you read on project Spurs is that he's really just a, like basically like a, like a C minus type three point shooter. You can't put high expectations on him. You definitely can't compare him to Davis. He's not going to knock down threes like Davis or maybe even like Marcus Morris would have. But you know he's going to be an okay three point shooter. But you can't you know in my opinion he can maybe get to that that B plus level that he did you know in, in his in his third year. But I just don't think that's going to be him you know and 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 I think that in terms of expectations he shouldn't have it that high. Who knows maybe he will get better at it. You know he's working with Chip England and stuff. But but we'll see. Um, defensively, uh, not, not a lot of good metrics on him. Um, according to the B ball index, his perimeter defense, uh, he graded out as a C minus C minus C and D, uh, graded level player in perimeter defense. So it doesn't look good for him there. Uh, interior defense is a lot better. He's a C plus, um, B plus B plus and B level interior defender. So, so you can tell that he's, he's at least able to protect the paint a little bit more, uh, and has more, um, more qualities there. Uh, in terms of crashing the glass, he's not a good offensive rebounder. He's never ranked it pretty high as a big. And then also on the defensive glass, he he really he's only had one season where he's been a, a strong defensive uh, rebounder. So um, I think the the expectation is if if Rudy Gay starts, he's probably going to be the backup four. Or if Pop goes big with Lamarcus and Jakob Pertl starting, and then Rudy Gay comes off the bench, I think it becomes a situation where Trey Lyles ends up becoming like Davis Bertans, who had to kind of find his minutes every now and then. And then, of course, we saw in the playoffs where Pop just, you know, didn't want to give Davis those minutes. What, what do you think about his place in this rotation? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting, um, especially with it's so hard to when you look at all of their players, it's hard to, like, find rotational spots. Um, but kind of for someone who's who's looking to play the four, it might be a little bit easier depending on how they're going to play Aldridge uh, in the starting lineup. Really, it all comes down to are they going to play Rudy Gay next to him, or are they going to play Jakob Pertl next to them? And that kind of everything else kind of falls into place around that. Um, I guess if, like you were saying, if they do start Rudy, that he would he would be the backup to to Rudy. And and you know some of the the things that you mentioned, you know, interior defense will probably be more important for him because I think that like rebounding, uh, that that backup unit has Pertl and White, who are two strong rebounders. Yeah. So so. Some of those weaknesses might be covered up by some of the other players on there. Actually, they're probably even more covered up by the starters, but he's definitely not probably going to go a whole lot of minutes with that that unit. Uh, so, so he kind of meshes well with that bench, um, especially if, if his shot's falling, he definitely does. Yeah. Uh, but if his shot is kind of shaky, then they might have to tweak how the lineups are. 
Yeah, and in my opinion, just overall with his signing, I think it's a low risk, high reward kind of signing. Like I said, you're getting him basically for one year, six and a half million if it doesn't work out. So if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't crack the rotation, if his three point shot doesn't get better, if he doesn't go to another level that that Denver wasn't able to get him to or Utah, well, then it's okay. Then you wave him, you know, at the end of the season and then, you know, it's it's only one year, six and a half million. You still got our, you know, whatever remaining money. But if it works out and he ends up, um, you know, surpassing those expectations, he gets a good three point shot. It maybe becomes a more versatile, um, you know, defensive player or, or on the offensive end. Well, then, hey, now you have this guy for two years, eleven million, and he's and he's a pretty good player. So, so in my opinion, I think that's where it's going to kind of work out. Is is you know just seeing how he progresses. If it doesn't work out, then it's fine. You know, they they have more options next summer. Um, next uh, topic, Colin, I want to get into is the early win projections that are coming out because uh, <laughs> a lot of Spurs fans are not happy with these. You know, it's kind of it reminds me a lot of last year where. The Spurs were not even, you know, in, in different models and projections. They weren't even expected to make the playoffs. And then we saw that when DeJounte Murray got hurt right out the gate and then Derek White, a lot of people's expectations of them being a playoff team really weren't high early on. And they did struggle, though. You know, you know, early on from like no, at the end of November, I looked it up. They were 14th in the West. And we saw how they did rebound though when Derek White came back. And, you know, they eventually figured out their team with DeMar and, and LaMarcus together. But anyway, this is the same case now this year. It looks like different models, uh, data models, and also Las Vegas aren't very impressed with their offseason moves and getting back a healthy DeJounte and getting Trey Lyles and getting Damari Carroll. T- to them, that doesn't put the Spurs you know, in the top eight in different uh, different projections uh, compared to other Western Conference teams who made moves. So, so let's look at some of these, these projections that I have here. Uh, according to the B-Ball Index, um, they they have the Spurs at 39.7 wins right now, which would be 11th in the Western Conference, 538 on their Carmelo ratings. They put up a new projection that has the Spurs winning just 37 games, which is 12th out West. Now, those are the data people. Those are the models, the mathematical models. These are all statistics. Now, Vegas is a little bit higher on the Spurs. Um, according to betonline.ag on Tuesday, th- their their projections came out, and the Spurs are at 43.5 wins, which is about the eighth seed. Uh, in, in the Western Conference, so so Vegas at least has a, has a higher expectation for the Spurs team than than maybe some of these these math models. Um, what do you think about that? Just early on before we talk about the other playoff teams. Well, you mentioned kind of how these models look at the Spurs off season, and I think after the the series against the Nuggets, you would say that their big their biggest weekend weakness was shooting, and that was kind of what did them in in that series. Yeah, and they got they went out and they signed or traded for. Uh, two players who have the capability of shooting, you know, yeah. who both of which kind of are up and down at times, but are capable of shooting at a high level. But but both of those players, I think their usage rate and their shots taken don't swing the needle from a bad shooting team to yeah. a good shooting team. So I think that that, that aspect, especially... And you, know, and you lost an elite shooter in Davis. Davis was like in the above the 90th percentile for a big last year. Right, and, and you know, Murray might shoot more this season, but hit him coming back is going to bring a whole lot of good things to the Spurs. It might hurt their shooting yeah. in the starting lineup. So their biggest weakness was like addressed to the capability that they could with the resources they could, but not really addressed in a meaningful way that's going to make them uh, that much better in that area. But, you know, on defense, which was another one of their huge weaknesses, you know, with, with DeJounte coming back, the way that that kind of the dominoes that fall there were, now you can have these lineups where it's DeJounte and Derek, and now DeMar can be out there guarding the third best perimeter player. Yeah. He's not out there having to guard one of the best two. Like, just what that does to the defense is improve it a lot. So I think in the aggregate, they're better than last year. It's just that the West got so much better yeah. with AD going to the Lakers and Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers. Like, I think the Spurs are better. Um, 
who was it? it might have been Jeff McDonald on Twitter who said they could be a better team with a worse record. Yeah. And I could and see that because they what, are better. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what, you know, I know a lot of people get upset that, you know, no, it's too low. They're going to win, you know, over that 40, 43 and a half. Uh, but you know, it, it's really tough, honestly. So what I did was I made a, I made a list of, of three different categories for, for West teams. Uh, this is just my list. This isn't coming from anybody. I, I called it the locks that I think are locks to make the playoffs right now, just based on these rosters, assuming most, most, uh, you know, key players stay healthy. Then I have the respectable category, which is like, these are teams that have been in the playoff picture, but I'm not too sure yet where, where I place them, but I'm going to say just out of respect. They're going to be in the playoff picture. And then I put on, on the outside the teams that are kind of coming for, for those, those open spots. So here are my locks. Tell me if you disagree with just the locks. I have the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Rockets, and the Lakers. Those are my locks in terms of, not, not in any order. I'm not saying one through, six, one through five or how many is that? Six. But do you see any of those teams not being a lock right now? Out of the Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Rockets, Lakers. Yeah, not without a serious injury. Like that, I think that's what it takes for any of those teams to not make it. Okay, so same here. Um, next, I have kind of in respect in terms of, um, uh, you know, in terms of I got to see them get knocked out first before I can say, say they're not a playoff team. And that's Portland, who lost some depth on defense with Aminu, with Mo Harkless, and they added some guys, Hassan Whiteside, uh, who else, Kent Bazemore. You know, but when you, when you really, I, I have, me and Colin, um, Spurs Scout Sisters, we have depth charts in front of us that I created. You know, you look at Portland's depth, and there's not a lot going on there, like, honestly. That's why, I, I you know, I, I know they went to the conference finals last year, and each year they've been surpassing expectations. But, I mean, you're real, when you're Portland and off the bench, you're really putting a lot of weight on, on Anthony Simons, on Rodney Hood. on And then outside of that, like, their bigs just, you know, you're really sh- shy there. Uh, what do you think about Portland being one of those teams that's kind of on the bubble? You know, it, it's tough because what the... Oh, and, and Nurkic won't be healthy to start the year. Right. So it, I guess it kind of depends on when he comes back. It is tough because I think that's one of those things that this does not show up in models, but I've started to kind of think of how much does having that... And it's actually, you know, maybe a dumb little teaser. Something I'm thinking about writing about Patty Mills is mm-hmm. that... What does that leadership and that tone and culture of the locker room, like how much does that actually give you in terms of wins? Because Portland's kind of becoming like the Spurs in the sense that every single year, it looks like, oh, they should fall out. Oh, they shouldn't make it very far. And yet they do. And part of me wonders, like, how much does that have to do with the leadership of Damian Lillard? You know, he's considered like, yeah, maybe the second best leader in the league, if not the best behind Steph Curry right now. So I think just having a guy like Lillard in your locker room helps a lot. But like you said, I mean, you look at their roster and, and it's kind of like one of those things where there are two competing things, you know, it's their yeah. roster versus some established guys who can take them there. So they are kind of a hard team to pin down, but it just feels like we kind of have this conversation every year. Yeah. And then they end up the third seed for the past two seasons and yeah, exactly. the Western conference finals. And I know their side of the bracket was easier, but like it, the, they they always seem to be like the Spurs exceeding expectations. Now. Okay, so so you still think of them as a playoff team, right? As yeah, right I, I like you. I, I have to see them fall out. Yeah, before exactly. I okay, and then you know, second, I put the Spurs. Obviously, you know, we we've talked about their roster. Um, you know, they for in my opinion, you know, they have a really good roster, but they just have a lot of where are guys going to play. Honestly, like we're going to talk about Lonnie Walker in a little bit. That's our third topic. But like honestly, like you were saying. You know, how is Pop going to do this? You know, and Damari Carroll needs to play now. And, and this isn't a guy you just signed, you know, you give all, all this money to just to not play him. And then you still got, you know, LaMarcus, who who Pop knows and wants to be at the four, but he plays better as a five statistically. And and 
And if LaMarcus is the five, there's more minutes for everybody else, basically, that you can distribute. And then, like we mentioned, you bring in back DeJounte. Does that mean Patty Mills needs to have a seat? Does that mean uh, Marco Bellinelli needs to have a seat? And then you're paying that guy $7 million or $5 million, whatever it is, just to be sitting if you put Lonnie Walker. So there's like, and then Bryn Forbes, who was a good starter, you know, he needs to probably go to the bench. So there's just all sorts of questions with this Spurs team. But right now, do you have them as a respectable playoff team in terms of you got to see them get fall out first? Yeah, you have to see the the teams behind them get ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already kind of know of two because they're in your locks, right? The Lakers and the Clippers, there's two teams ahead of them. And everyone will say, oh, well, the OKC is going to fall out. Yeah. Um, and that, that does make sense. Uh, and, and then you actually name OKC's like top three players, and you're like, oh, that kind of sounds all right. I mean, probably not great, but it's, it's one of those things where there are teams behind them that have to go ahead of them, but yeah. they're also some young teams behind them that have the room for growth to get there. Yeah. <laughs> like the Kings were knocking on that door last year. So like you said, I kind of have to see them fall out before I would expect them to, um, especially because uh, Murray will be back. I think that players like DeRozan play better in the Spurs system on the second year where they kind of had a year to like get used to the system and, and then pop has a year to get used to them and how they like to play best. I mean, like Aldridge, I think it was his third year before he started going, yeah, playing really well. So I would agree. I think I need to see them fall out, but I also would see some of the reason for national skepticism, even if I think that, you know, they're probably still in the fight there. Yeah. And and then the last team in terms of being that respectable category and which is I had a tough one with this one because normally I put them as a lock. But because of their situation, I'm really having a hard time figuring this team out. And that's the Golden State Warriors. You know, you, you do have Steph there. You do have D'Angelo Russell now coming in. But you're missing Clay for a few months before, the you know, as the season starts, you still got Draymond. And then, you know, outside of that. You're, they're really, really thin in terms of their depth. I mean, there's a lot of young, you know, rookies that they that they sign to different kind of contracts. But I mean, you're looking at players who really haven't had an impact in the NBA to really carry you. And that, those these are guys like Alec Burks, like Glenn Robinson the third, like um, you know, uh, Willie Cauley Stein hasn't really popped ever as, as a player in Sacramento. You know, just let him go basically. And then of course they brought back Kevon Looney. They traded for Amari Spellman. And they still have Alonzo McKinney. But like honestly, like their depth too is is really, really where you're placing a lot in and uh, guys who haven't really proven it. Um, so what do you think about them? Do you think they should be a lock for the playoffs, the Warriors right now on paper, or do you think it's more, it's more um, better to have them in that tier of bubble teams. That's kind of in there because of respectability. Right. It's so hard because of their roster really does after like the starting lineup line mm-hmm. looks rough, <laughs> but Steph is so good mm-hmm. and they do have Draymond and it's interesting to see how they'll use Russell as well. It's just, I mean, where is Steph in terms of, like, players in the NBA? Like, I, I know that people, so there are some people who make the argument for the best player right now because of the gravity he creates and his shooting. Yeah. I know that you probably couldn't go lower than five for sure, and probably three is the lowest that's reasonable. It's just, when you have a player that's maybe the third best player in the NBA on a team, and then you have maybe the best defensive player on the in the NBA on a team, like, it... it is that an automatic lock for the playoffs? You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. When you, like you said, you look at the rest of their roster. So it's hard for me to doubt them because of those two players specifically. But you, like, like I said, you look at everything after that starting lineup line and it, it is rough. Yeah, it gets rough there. So, yeah, so that's why I'm saying, like, even though the Warriors, I do think they're normally a, a lock as a playoff team. That, that That's a lot of expectations for the guys outside of Steph and Draymond. And, you know, if, if one of those guys has like an injury, like an ankle tweak for like two that's weeks. Over. It, 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 yeah, exactly. Like th- their depth is just not there that you can count on. 
Um, and then the teams that I say that you got to watch out for, the teams that are coming up that could surprise, you know, and knock one of these teams out of the playoff picture, in my opinion, are the are the Pelicans, the Mavs, and the Kings. You look at a team like the Pelicans, oh my, you know, obviously there's a lot of unproven rookies on there, but I mean, just the, the, the players that they do have, they have Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Derek Favors, you know, just as a starting lineup, most likely. Then you got Lonzo off the bench, you got Etwan Moore, proven player, Darius Miller, proven player, uh, uh, Nicoli, Nicolo Melli, who's going to be new. Uh, then you got Josh Hart still there, and then you have Frank Jackson. And then, of course, you have all the rookies like Jackson Hayes. You got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So um, what do you think about the Pelicans? Is it safe to say still that they're not quite there yet or just on paper right now? Yeah, I guess it depends. It's funny how, you know, you hear all these moves and you know what they are, but then, like, when you look at it on paper, you see something else. Like, I love their starting Yeah, they're, they're good, right? They look good, the Pelicans. <sighs> Especially, if, you know, Zion is a rookie, but, you right. know, just look at what he did in, in three quarters of Vegas, I mean, He's going to have his moments where he struggles, but especially his shot. But I mean, just the, the talent being joined with Drew Holiday, and, and then you got JJ spreading the floor, and it's a lot. <laughs> well, and this will be Brandon Ingram's fourth year, right? Yeah, I, I mean, this so. is like prime time for him to make the leap too in a new situation. I, I think that really it depends on Brandon Ingram and Zion Williams, how good Williamson, sorry, how good they are, and like kind of especially as a rookie with Williamson, like how good he will be out of the gate with NBA level talent going up against him, you know, even if he's maybe 75% of what he will be for his career, they actually probably get really close to the playoffs with that. But it is like a ramp up period for a lot of these rookies. And I think the LeBron James esque rookies or like Luka Doncic who'd played professionally for years and years and years, those are exceptions and not the norm. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when you had, uh, a couple of the rookies of the year that were like out of the box, just amazing players. And again, that's, that's not always typical. So you would expect a couple of years of ramp up for, for Zion Williamson to actually get to where he should be going. But I think if he, if he starts really well, then I think that they have a shot at the playoffs. Yeah. Out of those three, out of, out of the, um, the Pelicans, the Mavs and the Timberwolves, or even you could throw in Sacramento in there. Um, it really feels like new Orleans is that team. That's really going to be the team that everybody needs to watch out for in terms of trying to, to, to take one of those eight spots from the other playoff teams. I still don't, you know, with Luca and a healthy Chris Depps in Delon, Wright, You know, on the Mavs, I still don't feel like they're, they're strong enough just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the Timberwolves, you know, you're, again, you're, you're placing a lot on, on Wiggins and, and towns and towns is good. But Wiggins hasn't popped, you know, Jared Culver might start there. And then you look at the, uh, the, 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 who is it? The Kings, they got Fox, you know, Buddy Hill at Harrison Barnes. The Kings were funny because Zach Lowe was talking about this with um, Kevin Arnovitz on a podcast. They have, in today's NBA, they have six big men These at the four and five. It's crazy. I, I just can't believe the Kings stacked up their team with bigs. Um, they were telling how Vladi Divac likes to target bigs, and they have so many. It's ridiculous that you don't need that many in today's NBA. And then, like you said, the Thunder, you know, even like them, I really, even if they get a good Chris Paul season right now, you know, it doesn't look like they're going to trade him just yet. I still don't think they have enough depth in terms of just their offense. I don't know how they're going to score points outside of, you know, outside of Gallo and, and Paul um, and maybe Shea every now and then. But like, you know, they still, they're going to get Roberson back. They got Steven Adams and Nerland as well. There's just not a lot of depth there either for the, for the Thunder. That's why I don't see them as a playoff team. Right. And I see that too. It's one of those things where they might be one of those teams at the end of March. That's like, the tenth seed and a couple of the other teams that are kind of close and it's like oh if, if this breaks this way and this breaks this way they can make it in but ultimately kind of like the kings last year where it was like oh they're kind of a threat if all of this works out but it you know ultimately would have had to be like a crazy turn of events but it just looks on paper like it's closer than yeah. it is i can see them being in that tier of like right below the playoffs if things work out well for them 
Yeah, so I mean, I think we both agree that right now, you know, just based on paper, with that team, this team play, we think the Spurs are still a playoff team, and and they're going to win more games than maybe some of those 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 models that have winning forty games that they're going to be higher than that, right? Right, right. I, I think just with how tough the West is, kind of like what we said, maybe uh, not a ton, ton more than those. Well, especially like the Vegas models, one that I'm thinking about, like the forty three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much higher than that they go. But I think that they will surpass. I mean, again, they'll surpass those expectations because I think that is, and it's such a one of those Spursy things to say. But I do think that kind of the way that their system is set up and the the coaching, obviously, they still have one of the best coaching staffs in the league, despite losing some of uh, their higher assistants. Um, I think that kind of the those models look at the parts, yeah, and the Spurs again as cheesy and Spursy or whatever as this is to say. <laughs> they usually end up being better than the sum of their parts as a whole, just with coaching and the system and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. Yeah. And I think that the, the area where they really, really need to make sure and one, one area to watch on the Spurs is record next year. And a lot of West teams, honestly, where they're going to make a lot of their, their, their wins, get a lot of their wins is when they play Eastern conference teams. Because I mean, that is an area where you need to get as many wins as you can. If you want to really climb up in the West standings and stay afloat, because right now as, as I'm looking at um, the B-ball indexes, um, win projections only one eastern conference team is projected to win 50 games that's it just one uh the, the, the milwaukee bucks of 56 wins that's it i mean the spurs I, I think would be favored in a lot of those eastern conference games when they play those teams and so i think that's an area where we're gonna have to watch the spurs schedule and look at the standings each night and see you know how are they faring against the east and of course because because out west there's not that there's not gonna be that many below 500 teams anymore like mm-hmm. You know, outside of like Memphis and Phoenix, I can't think of, you know, an easy an easy win each night against the Western Conference when you're San Antonio. So, um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Obviously, it's very early. It's it's only mid-July. But these are some of the projections that are coming out with the Spurs. Uh, last co- uh, topic, Colin, is let's talk about Lonnie Walker now. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very impressive at Summer League. He only played in two games, on, um, you know, at Vegas, but he also played in a few at, in, in Utah. He, uh, you know, he averaged 30 points per game in, in those games. He shot over, uh, I want to say over 60% on twos and over 40% on threes. Um, he was named to the uh, the second team All-NBA uh, or All-Summer League team. Uh, most of that, I think, is is because of he didn't play that many games, really, is what that attri- what I attribute that to. Um, so, obviously, he's popped. He's shown that offensively, I mean, he, the kid is just a scorer specifically with that mid-range jumper. He didn't take as many threes that I wanted him to see from him. Um, something I had talked about two weeks ago was his assists. He didn't really rack those up at all. He didn't. I mean, what's the point of assisting the one you're going to make every shot you take? That's what it seemed like for him, honestly. Um, just real quick, because you were in Vegas also, what did you think about Lonnie's performance uh, in Summer League just so far? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because there's a point where, as a player, you're just kind of better than the Vegas competition. Um, and it's hard to know how well that translates to the NBA because there's that point for Kawhi, you know, and and, um, I I think that that year he might not have been MVP Kawhi, but, you know, it was very obvious that that was the trajectory he was on. And again, though, it was that way for Kyle Anderson a couple years ago. And, I mean, he was was honestly a solid starter for the Spurs, you know, when they needed him with that year with Kawhi being out. I think that he really helped their defense. But, I mean, you know, he's not on, like, MVP trajectory or anything exactly. like that. So, it's hard to judge, like, what better than Vegas competition means yeah. for the NBA. Because we saw that, um, I think, for, <laughs> I think that someone asked Pop about that that season about Kyle Anderson and said, you know, oh, wow, he played this well during Summer League, you know, and, and like, why isn't he playing this well in the NBA? And Pop was like, it's different competition. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and so it, it's one of those things where we kind of have to see what it means, um, especially with a, a shot like the mid-range, where if that was where he was, you know, dominating from, what happens when that shot's not falling? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think he will be much improved, and it obviously looks like he has the confidence to get to his spots. I think that, for me, that's the thing about Summer League, is that it sounds weird, but players' shots will fall or not fall. That can be fixed, but it's like, how well do they get to their spots? How well do they run yeah. the sets? How well... Do they go through the motions? Because the ball actually going through the hoop is something that can be worked on with the coaches and stuff. But if they're not getting to their spots well, if they're just throwing things up because, oh, I can't get there and, oh, it went in, uh, that's not very... But I think that that's, that's the takeaway is that he's able to get to the places he wants to go. Um, and that was... We're not talking about him, but that was actually kind of one of the things that was impressive about uh, Luka Samanich as well. Yeah. It was just his handles and stuff. But I, I think that is more important than the 30 points a game for Milani. Before okay, so before we go, we're going to continue with Lonnie in a little bit, but I do want to ask you real quick. Um, did you see anything from summer league right now that makes you think that that Luca Samanich or Keldon Johnson are going to in any way crack this rotation, or they're going to spend most of their time in Austin? What did you feel about that? So no, I think they're going to play most of their time in Austin because even the most promising rookies do. Yeah, for San Antonio, and I think that that's part of the. Um, again, as cheesy as it is, I think it's important to the Spurs that they know that people get over themselves or whatever, and I think yeah. that. You need to have a hole, and you need to have a rookie just amazingly good to play them, and they don't really have a hole in their rotation right now. So I think that they like to to prove to guys, like, hey, you're not bigger than the system. Like, you yeah. need to, like, earn your, your playing time in Austin and just kind of see how guys respond to that. And, you know, when you have someone like Murray or White who respond really well to that, when they come over, they're ready to play. And it looks like Walker might be the same way. I, I think that <laughs> it's weird because it helps them develop. It helps them get playing time. But I also think that they do it for that character thing. Yeah. Um, I do think that is a real thing for the Spurs. But I, I think the thing that I saw wasn't that they weren't going to play in Austin. I think they will. But I think that it was that they are good players. I think when they were drafted, especially where Luka was drafted, a bunch of people were like, oh, you know, there's still Brandon Clark on the board. There's still Grant Williams on the board. Like, why were they drafted? Yeah. But they, they did show, like, that they have the tools of good players. Yeah, and down the road, yeah. If, once they develop, I mean... You know, I didn't know much about uh, Luca before the draft mm-hmm. or really even starting to watch him in summer league. I was really surprised at how well he handled the ball and how quick he was with the ball. Exactly. And yeah. For like a seven footer, like that could be huge uh, yeah. down the road if he's able to develop just kind of what mismatches that presents. So I think they will be good players, uh, especially if the rest of their young guys develop. I think they could have like a really strong starting five in like three or four years with all these guys in it if all of them develop the way that it looks like they should but i definitely think that they'll play in austin this year same here i you know i didn't see enough to, to think that these guys are going to crack the rotation and in terms of you know we, we already talking about a stack spurs team that already has 15 players it's hard for to find those guys in minutes uh had had had, Mar- had trail Isles not been signed well then i felt like there was some sort of opening for uh for luca because um you know, just just looking at the four spot in terms of ba- who's in the back of Rudy Gay, there was some minutes there. But now that Trey Lyles is here, I think that that's going to probably be his spot. Um, okay, so now let's let's go back to Lonnie real quick. So so we do think that he probably needs to get some minutes this year. The problem there, though, is that there aren't a lot of minutes. You know, I, I've broken down the Spurs' um, playing time from last year. So Derek White and Patty Mills, they covered all the minutes at the one last year combined. Uh, Bryn Forbes and Mar- Marco Bellinelli co- covered pretty much all the minutes at the two last year. And then DeRozan covered 35 minutes a night at the three. And then, you know, whoever else, you know, whoever pop inserted there as, as, as the backup three, whether it was like Dante Cunningham or just giving Marco some minutes at the three, there, there, there was only 13 minutes basically available each night at the three. 
So the problem there now is you look at, at at these three players you're adding, and what I mean what I mean by three players is you're adding Dejounte Murray. You have to get him some minutes. Then you're adding Lonnie Walker, who you want to get him some minutes. And then you're also uh, maybe adding Damari Carroll if Rudy Gay doesn't start. So like Rudy doesn't start, well then he's going to be the backup four, and then all of a sudden Carroll's going to have to probably play more three. Or if Rudy starts, so well, then maybe Carroll plays more four, you know, as a backup kind of thing. So so there's all sorts of. Um, of issues right now with the, with this jumbling of minutes. And my question to you is how, how do they get DeJounte? I think DeJounte is pretty much set as getting his minutes, you know, the one, but how did they get Lonnie his minutes? It, you know, who needs to fall out or what do you think? Yeah. So <laughs> this is gonna, I think, and maybe I'll be surprised. I think that the thing that we're going to see kind of fans being upset about at the start of the season is that Marco will be playing over Lonnie. Uh, I I think that that's just the way that this <laughs> coaching staff and organization goes is that they like the established player first. Mm-hmm. Now I think that Lonnie might be playing more than Marco uh, at the end of the year, but I think at the start of the year, uh, Marco will be playing over Lonnie, and I think that, that that might be a shock to some people when it actually happens. It's just you can kind of start to predict how this coaching staff makes decisions after you've watched them long enough, and that definitely seems like exactly what they're going to do. So. I was kind of thinking of, um, it's interesting because I think, you know, DeMar is more of a natural at the shooting guard position, mm-hmm. but I, I, I've wondered, and I don't think this is a lineup to do, but I've kind of wondered if they move him over to the three, and I guess take uh, Harold as the backup to, to Rudy, maybe, and have Bryn start just to give that lineup some shooting. At the two? At yeah. the two. Yeah, so I actually have some um, some little some little projections here. So I have, here's my first, uh, I'm just looking at the at the one, two, and three here in these projections. Uh, you start Murray at the one, Derek White at the two, and DeRozan at the three. Well, then your backups there are Mills as your one, um, Forbes as your two behind White, and then you have Belly as your three behind DeRozan, and I guess Lonnie has to fill those minutes, you know, wherever you can find some. Duh. The next lineup that I have is one you just talked about. You start Murray at the one, Bryn Forbes at the two, and DeRozan at the three. Well, then in this case, you still get Patty Mills as your backup one. You have Derek White as your backup two, and then you got Bellinelli as your backup three, or whoever, again, Lonnie can be for those minutes. Right. And then the last one I have is more of that traditional lineup, which is Murray at the one, DeRozan at the two, Carroll at the three. That becomes a problem because then you got White and Patty Mills fighting for minutes at the one. You got Forbes and Walker at the two. Then you got Belly at three. So, so um, I really feel like it's going to be more on him to beat out either Belly or Forbes. Do you agree there? I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that, you know, as the season goes on and as he proves himself in spot minutes, he'll start getting more and more minutes and it, he'll, he'll kind of overtake Bellinelli for that light backup three as the year goes on. I just think that at the start of the year, it'll probably be, um, and, you know, it, they might play a rotation where they do have they have whoever. I mean, if they, if they do kind of the one that you were mentioning with uh, DeJounte, DeMar, and Damari at the three, they could maybe have that rotation at the three be a little bit shorter where they bring out DeMari kind of early, bring Marco in, and then somewhere at the early second they take out Marco and bring in Lonnie, and then they put Damari back in for the end of the half something like that and then as he proves himself i think he'll get those minutes over marco but i like you said i think i think it's going to be interesting to see how they split those minutes up yeah and, and the areas that he really needs to focus on i mean uh is defense honestly if he wants to earn those minutes over Brent forbes and and marco bellinelli it's got to be the defensive end so um uh yeah so 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 we'll see how that works and see what kind of um minutes lonnie gets but um uh thank you colin for joining us first cast episode 549 um i also want to thank michael de leon for mixing and producing this episode uh if you're on twitter please follow colin at colin reed ps 
Uh, for Project Spurs, I'm Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.